Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All righty, we find ourselves in uh, what book of the Bible? We're in John. We're in John chapter 15. If you've got a Bible, go there now. And let me set it up. So if we are believing the Bible, for those of us who are Christians, when we die, we go to heaven. But in the meantime, we live here. And the question is, what is the relationship between the God who rules the kingdom of heaven and the cultures and nations of the earth? And that is where we find ourselves. And we find ourselves looking at the words of Jesus today and learning why the world hates Christianity. Before we jump in, let me read for you some transcripts. And so this is the project that I wanna introduce to you. Some years ago, before our current political situation, before you know many of the things that have transpired culturally, this was a bit of a prophetic look. It was some years ago, and I commissioned a uh, research team to figure out the primary objections of people to Christianity. And then I wanted to figure out what do people really think and say when they don't think that we're in the room. And so we commissioned, I commissioned, um, focus groups with a woman who at that time had run 1,700 focus groups in 25 years of service for political leaders, for companies, for thought and trend leaders. And these focus groups, they would get together and they would have an honest conversation that was recorded and transcribed. And so we had four cities, Austin, Boston, San Francisco, and Phoenix was one of those cities. And there were two groups in each city, one for men, one for women. These people were chosen randomly. They were brought together to have a conversation regarding Christianity. They knew that they were being recorded for a project. They didn't know it was my project. And, uh, and they were total strangers. And then we recorded and transcribed what they had to say regarding Christianity. Let me read to you some of the things that they said. And this is not me just picking the most salacious or controversial portions, this actually represents the tonality of the totality of the transcripts. A woman in Austin said regarding Christianity, quote, I feel like it's very stifling and not very open. It's almost designed to be a group of people who go against a lot of other types of faith. I think a lot of times Christianity is just this overarching thing that is almost like something to be scared of. I think that it gives people an excuse to be hateful to other people and to feel like they're better than them. Goes on to say, Christianity almost seems like this dark cloud to me when I hear it. Another woman agreed and said, uh, the concept of Christianity is very oppressive. How many of you have heard this or felt this? How many of you right now are like, I knew I shouldn't have come to church, this is discouraging. (laughs) Don't worry, we're not gonna do politics today. The church needs to be the neutral third corner. Needs to be the place where we talk about a king and a kingdom, not just a nation and its leaders. The story continues, here are some other responses. These are just quotes, a turn off, a bunch of rules, a bunch of rules, all they have is a bunch of rules. Another said conversion, coercion, it's the same. Everybody in the room laughed. It's like radical Muslims and that there is no talking to them. Nothing is up for discussion. Other words, common words include misguided, crazy, selective hearing, psychologically manipulative, dangerous, hypocrites, corruption, dogma, scamming, indoctrinating kids who are too young to think for themselves, oppression, They want to be told what to do. Many agreed. Conformity, ignorance, blind acceptance, bat naughty word crazy. Two groups in two different cities use that word. Weak personality, closed-minded. They seem to be a little too happy. It's creepy, one person said. (laughs) Yes, we need to solve this joy problem that we're all experiencing. 
overbearing, militant, recruiting, reprogramming, brainwashing extremists, almost a gang, obnoxious. I think of creepy old white men, anti-science, organized religion, yuck, everybody laughed, turning people into monsters, creepy old people, whack job religion, and some people express great emotion, including one male in Phoenix, and if you're here, welcome. He said, uh, I had a friend that actually got born again and it broke my heart. Um, in reading all the transcripts, and I read them multiple times over, hundreds of pages, combed through them, one theme clearly emerged, and that is that to be a Christian is to be stupid. Some of you are like, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you in a minute here. Um, <laughs> Daniel in San Francisco said, where are these people coming from, these Christians? Where are they coming from? Where are they drawing these Christians from? Is it from here? He says, no, it's probably from Missouri. So if you're from Missouri, Congratulations, you got out. Um, what I'm saying is the label itself is almost meaningless. He said, uh, the average American Christian, they're from the middle of the country. They have not very progressive views. The assumption is just that a progressive view is good. They have probably very regressive views about social and cultural issues. I'd say they're probably less intellectual, less curious, less affluent. Um, I don't know if you're feeling the tolerance, I'm not. Uh, those are all things I think about when I think about the average Christian. A woman in Boston said they have no education. Uh, they've maybe gone to high school, they haven't done any college, so conversion for me, it's very negative. It means uneducated. It means somebody who is not a deep thinker and just goes with the flow just as sheep. A Phoenix male, again, welcome, says that we are, quote, uninformed, uneducated, not thinking for ourselves, following organized religion instead of thinking for ourselves. Going back to the mega churches, he says, all these people can't think for themselves. A woman in Austin says they're very brainwashed by it and hypnotized by it, and they don't necessarily mean to be hateful or intolerant. And they're not as smart as me. <laughs> Appreciate the humility, thank you for sharing. Uh, that's bad, and I think a lot of it is just how they were raised, and it was a cult thing. My question to you would be this. Imagine that this was a focus group that was talking about any other religion or any other race or any other group or category of people. Um, probably wouldn't have the conversation go this way among total strangers who knew they were being recorded. My point is simply this. Christianity is about love and hate. That God loves us and God sends us out into the world to love him and to love others on his behalf. And in response, we don't always get love. Sometimes we get hate. We get hate. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus is going to tell us and teach us today. And so we jump in. This is why the world hates us. Jesus says this in uh, John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, that first and foremost, it's the world versus the kingdom. And uh, here's how the Lord Jesus says it. If the world what? Hates you. That word is gonna show up a lot today. This could be very confusing for you, but the world does hate you. Hates, uh, hated, hated, uh, hates. You're gonna see a theme emerge from the Lord Jesus. God loves you. God wants you to love him. God wants you to go out and tell others about his love and they're gonna hate hearing the message and they're gonna hate the messenger who brings the message. How many of you have experienced this? How many of you, this is your reality. This is why you're not posting verses on social media. This is why your family doesn't know you got saved. This is why at work, you do not wave the Jesus flag or have a Bible on your desk. You're like, I know what's gonna happen and I don't wanna pay the price. 
if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, that's the issue. World, 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 that's the theme. The world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus is establishing that there is this conflict between the world and the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king, he brings with him the kingdom of God, and here he arrives in the world. Well, the kingdom of God is ruled by God, the world is ruled by Satan. The kingdom of God is governed by truth and the world is run by lies. Uh, the kingdom of God is about light and the world is about darkness. The kingdom is about God's glory. The world is about our glory. The kingdom is about doing God's will. The world is about getting what you want. And ultimately the kingdom leads to eternal life and the world leads to eternal death. That's, that's the kingdom versus the world. And this battle, it started in heaven long before humanity was even created. The storyline of the Bible is the only storyline that makes sense of human experience and human history that God is good and he made angels to worship and serve him and some rebelled against him. And there was a war in heaven between the kingdom of God and this counterculture, this worldliness from spiritual forces. This then tumbled down to the earth and worldliness is now what we see in the various nations and cultures of the earth. Here's the big idea. There is no such thing as a godly culture. Every culture has aspects and elements of rebellion and worldliness. So it's not like this culture is good and that culture is bad. Every culture is bad just in different ways. And Jesus is saying that ultimately there is this conflict, this collision between the world and the kingdom. Uh, you could see this in the Old Testament. You see where there's a guy named Joseph. He goes into a nation called Egypt. He is a citizen of God's kingdom and he is in a culture that is worldly and opposed to God. You see this in the Old Testament with another man named Daniel. They're prototypes of a missionary. That is a citizen of the kingdom going into a worldly culture. Daniel is a man who he represents the kingdom of God and the king of heaven. And he goes into Babylon, which is a godless nation. And he goes there to serve, but everything there is opposed to the word of God and seeks to get him to compromise the ways of God. This is something that happens in the New Testament where Christians go out into the Roman empire and to the nations and there is persecution and there is opposition. There is hatred, not only for the message of Jesus, but the messengers of Jesus. In the early church, uh, Christianity was illegal until a man named Constantine legalized it. So for the first few hundred years, our faith was illegal. So we worshiped in closed quarters. We, we were sort of an underground movement that was persecuted. They would take Christians and they would uh, draw and quarter them, take your arms and your legs, uh, tie them with ropes to horses or chariots, whip them and send them in four directions, dismembering you in front of your family and friends. One political leader was so opposed to Christians that to illuminate his state dinners, he would take Christians, wrap us in pitch and resin, run us through with a pole and set us on fire. And we would be the torches that would illuminate the state dinners, right? Everything that Jesus said is in fact true. It in fact happened and it continues to happen. Persecution happens continually to this day around the world. I've got a friend of mine in India. He's planted a lot of churches. I've known him for more than two decades. Every once in a while, I get an email from him asking for prayer because particularly churches in the North, sometimes radical Muslim or radical Hindu groups will come into town. They'll burn the churches to the ground, arrest, sometimes even kill the pastor. Just this last week in China, one of the largest Christian churches in Beijing was shut down. It was a Sunday like this and the government showed up, took the mic away from the pastor, confiscated all of the resources, uh, scattered and arrested some of the people and shut the church down. 
Um, Persecution.org is a great place to follow some of the persecuted church and what is going on globally. It still continues. And here's what I need you to know, that every culture has aspects of which are worldly. You won't learn this in sociology, anthropology, political ideology. The thought is that cultures are neutral and they're sacred. The point is that cultures are not neutral and they're sinful. And that every culture has in it elements of worldliness. And for the Christian today, I don't wanna do a big political lecture, but I do wanna bring you up to speed historically. And this is gonna tax your brain a little bit. So, you know, just hang in there with me. But you and I are part of a great experiment called Christendom. It is about 500 years of age. The United States of America was birthed as a nation as part of this grand experiment of Christendom. And Christendom was, how do we build a society that is based on essentially what they would call Judeo-Christian values, which is basically that there is human life, human life is sacred, marriage is for a man and a woman, children are a good thing, life is to be honored, private property is to be a reality, some basic tenets for a civil society. And what this led to was the formation of our nation, which in some regards borrows some of the storyline of the Bible. Again, this is complicated, hang in there with me. Uh, So America became Israel. Uh, Our revolution became our exodus. The Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution became our canon. Lincoln is our Moses. Independence Day is our Easter. Our enemies are our Satan. Our guy like a Benedict Arnold, he's our Judas. Our founding fathers are our apostles. Our taxes are our tithe. The Pledge of Allegiance is the sinner's prayer. And the president is the nation's pastor, which means every time something happens, they're supposed to stand up and give instruction, correction, direction, or consolation to the people as a pastor. What this created was an entire culture, a nation of people, some of whom loved Jesus, but some of whom were just cultural Christians. Because there was social pressure, if you're a good, decent, moral citizen, you need to be connected to some house of worship. And so when you're born, your parents would take you to church and they would get you wet and call it baptism. And maybe when you got married, you would have your wedding in a church to show everybody, we believe in God, we're good people. And then when you die, you'd come back to the church and they'd have a funeral for you. And other than those three occasions, you really didn't commit yourself to the church, right? It's birth, marry, bury. That's pretty much the job of the church. And the result is that you have people who maybe show up for Christmas or Easter, but they're not really devoted to Jesus and they're not living according to biblical convictions. They have a cultural Christianity, not a commitment to Christ. Not a commitment to Christ. There are people in there that do love Jesus and do serve Jesus and do believe the Bible and do live according to the principles of God's kingdom. Well, the result was that you had a a general sort of morality that governed American history until about the 1960s and 70s, and some of you were alive during that time, and that is when we saw the countercultural revolution. What started as a counterculture has now grown to be a very majority culture, a large culture. So what you have today, again, this is complicated, hang in there with me, On the political right, you have a lot of cultural Christianity. On the political left, you have the counterculture. And Christians are told, pick one. And many Christians are struggling saying, ah, 
there's worldliness here and there's worldliness here. And Jesus says that ultimately we need to be about the kingdom of God, not just the cultures of the world. The goal for the Christian, hear me in this, is to get above it socially, politically, morally, and to say, okay, where's worldliness here? Where's worldliness here? How do we live kingdom down, not culture up? How do we live in such a way that we're not looking for the approval of the right or the left, we're looking for the approval of the Lord. And that means that there may be things that we disagree and agree with on the right and the left. This gets very complicated, but it takes wisdom for the Christian. And it means we need to think as residents of the world, but citizens of the kingdom, this is like a missionary. A missionary goes into a culture saying, there are gonna be some thoughts and behaviors here that are ungodly and I need to bring the word of God and they need to repent and have a change so that they can meet the God of the Bible and start to live according to kingdom principles. This nation, cultures and subcultures, my friend, they are our, our residents, but it's not our citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. And Jesus is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. He is actually the king of the kingdom of heaven. And he comes down and what he says is, if you go out and take the word of God and bring the truth of God, whatever culture you find yourself in, there will be a reaction and it will include hatred, persecution, suffering, and opposition. Sometimes it's very clear. If you're a college student, you go on a campus, you get this. If you just stand up and say, well, the Bible says, then you should duck, right? Because it's not gonna go well for you. Sometimes it is more subtle. And here's the key. The key is to find ways in which whatever culture we find ourselves in is worldly, is worldly. How do we understand what is worldly? Well, number one, we open the Bible, we learn about the kingdom of God and we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we take whatever the culture is and we compare it to the kingdom. And in any form that it deviates, we say, that's just not kingdom, that's not godly. And number two, sometimes you can get a better perspective on your culture by visiting another culture. How many of you have been to another culture and you come back and see your culture differently? Okay, this is where a short-term missions trip can be really helpful. You go there to love and serve, but also to learn. Sometimes you think that something is just part of your culture until you go to another culture. We had this experience not too long ago, our family went to Jamaica Say, how was it? It was Irie, man. I said it wrong, but that's what it was. And uh, we're in Jamaica and I keep meeting all these men who have a lot of children and no wife. I met one guy, five kids, six kids, eight kids. So I asked them, how long you been married? And they all look at me like, well, I'm not married. Like I was the crazy one. I was like, no, marriage and kids, they're supposed to go together, at least in theory, some of the time, amen? Because that's kingdom down. I talk, and so I start meeting guys and I'd be like, well, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about God? And some of the guys are like, oh, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I'm involved in my church. I'm in a Bible study. Okay, I asked one guy, how many kids you got? He's got, I got eight. How many women? Three women. Are you married? Nope. Have you ever been married? No. I look at him, I said, uh, how do you justify that? He said, Irie, man, which means no problem, everything okay. I said, not Irie. I'm anti-Iremon, I'm, I'm, no, no. He said, no, no, in Jamaica, we do it Jamaica style. We, we date and then if we like a girl, we move in. If we really like her, we have some kids. And then when we're maybe around 40, when you become older, maybe you get married. I said, that's not kingdom down, that's culture up. That's not, that's not the word of God, that's the ways of the culture. 
He said, well, you're from America. And he started pointing out our cultural problems. <laughs> let me tell you, <laughs> it's possible to do that. It's not like I could say, we read the Bible and do it. You should do it too. He's like, I watched the news. I was like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, he's like, you know, you, you, you guys, you kill your babies. At least we raise ours. I was like, well, hey, th this was a conversation with a guy driving the car, so I had to be kind. Um, and he said, you know, uh, he said, at least in our culture, we love each other. In your culture, you kill each other. He started pointing out all the flies in my culture. So, so my first instinct was to defend my culture. No, 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 we're good, you're bad. And he was like, no, you're not. The truth is every culture has aspects and elements of worldliness that needs to be repented of. Our goal is not to defend our culture, but to bring God's kingdom. So I told this guy, I said, well, we're both Christians. We both read the Bible. I said, you should marry the girl that gave you all these babies. And I said, uh, I will acknowledge that there are things in my culture that are sinful that we need to repent of and work against for the good of all people and the glory of God. And what it usually ends up is my culture is better than your culture rather than saying all culture has elements and aspects of worldliness. And when examined by the kingdom, we won't be behaving like this forever. And as a result, we need to stop as soon as possible. We've got some short-term mission trips this year, Dominican Republic, Indonesia, South Africa, India, Colombia, and Mexico. If you'd like to sign up for one, we would like to send you. Sometimes you go to another culture and you, you get new eyes. And pray for this. One thing I have in my heart, I'm trying to organize. I wanna bring some middle school and high school students to Mexico for Christmas, bring toys and food and clothes to an orphanage. Because sometimes if you grew up in Scottsdale, you may not have a clear perspective on reality, amen? You're one of those kids, you're like, yeah, I read the Bible about suffering and I went to the splash pad and it was cold. Um, oh. Yes, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Maybe not reality. Maybe not reality, right? Some of you older people, you're like, I went to dinner and the snowbirds are back and the line was long, reminded me of hell. I know exactly how Jesus felt. No, you don't. You're in Scottsdale, Arizona. You're in Scottsdale, Arizona, right? Sometimes getting outside of your culture gives you fresh lens and perspective on your culture. And you realize that there is a kingdom and there are cultures in the world and they are at odds. And our goal is not to defend our culture, but to bring Christ and the kingdom to the culture. That's ultimately God's intent. Uh, next section. Jesus told us that in addition to the world versus the kingdom, there is also the world versus the Christian. Jesus says this in John 15, 20 through 22, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master if they persecuted animosity, hostility, opposition. If you have fear of man issues and you need everybody to like you, it's gonna be hard to be a faithful Christian. If you say, I refuse to do conflict, it's gonna be hard to be a Christian. I just don't want anybody to be upset with me. I don't want anybody to think ill of me. I don't want anyone to speak negatively of me. It's gonna be hard to be a faithful Christian. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. That's missionary talk. A missionary goes into a culture knowing that there's going to be some disagreement. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. So there are the cultures of the earth that are infected with worldliness, rebellion, sin, folly. Jesus, the King comes down from the kingdom, comes into the cultures of the world and he 
declares himself to be God and he reveals himself to be God through his words and his works. And what he says is, now they're without any excuse. I told them I was God and I showed them I was God. And when they reject me, it's not because it wasn't clear, but because they were clearly in rebellion. Here's how it works. Conform to the system or be punished. Conform to the system or be punished. That's how the world works. Conform to the system or be punished. Uh, Sometimes this persecution is overt. Sometimes it is more covert. Uh, The more overt sometimes happens in other countries, quite frankly. Uh, Some years ago, we were in Turkey. And if you read the New Testament, many of the letters in the New Testament were written to churches that are in modern day Turkey, Galatia, Ephesus, places like that, Colossia. And so we went to these archeological digs in Turkey as a family to see where Christianity started and where the first missionaries were sent out from. And you would think, because this is the map in the back of your Bible, you would think when you got there, boy, there's gonna be a lot of Christians reading the Bible and pointing to the map and saying, that's us. Not true. Turkey is today the least Christian nation on the earth. The uh, missiologists will tell us that a few, only a few thousand people in the nation of Turkey are actually Christian believers. Sometimes people will say, when the church is persecuted, it grows. No, actually you can persecute the church to the degree that it scatters. Because at the end of the day, if they're going to give you the kind of options that for example, Christians in Iraq are given right now, which is why hundreds of thousands of Christians have fled Iraq, you can renounce your faith, you can die, you can run for your life, or you can be a slave and your wife and daughters can be prostitutes. Those are your four options. Well, then we're leaving for the sake of the family and our legacy. It is possible to oppose and persecute a group of Christians to the degree that they have to flee and relocate just to survive. That's what is happening right now in Iraq. And that's what happened in ancient Turkey. So I showed up in Turkey and I went to preach at a church there on a Sunday, one of the larger churches in the country, a couple hundred people. And uh, outside, one of the leaders stopped me and they said, uh, the military is here today at our church. I said, why is that? They said, to hear you preach. I'm thinking, uh-oh. We're gonna ch- I'm gonna speak through a translator. I hope, I hope they're good, right? <laughs> like this, I hope they're good. And they said, uh, if you say anything negative about Islam or the Turkish government, you'll probably get arrested and go to prison and be a news story. I was like, well, I don't wanna do that. I wanna talk about Jesus. I believe in prison ministry, but not from the inside. I'm not looking for that kind of, <laughs> not looking for that kind of deployment. And so sitting in the front rows were armed military soldiers listening to what I had to say. And I preached and it went off without incident. And afterward I said, well, before I go, I'd like to just meet the pastor and pray for them. They said, he's not here today. I said, why? They said, uh, they said he's been arrested so many times that with you preaching, he assumed he'd get arrested again. I was like, oh, I have that kind of reputation. That's amazing. I said, uh, I said, well, tell me the story. And I don't remember the exact number, whether it was 100 or 200, but they said, our pastor has been arrested, thrown in jail and beaten. It was at least 100 times. They'll arrest him, throw him in jail, beat him, torture him. Eventually they let him out and he comes back to the church, opens the Bible and keeps teaching where he left off. And then they arrest him and they take him over to church and over to the jail cell rather from the church beat him, imprison him, 
Now he's got to get an attorney. It's very expensive. Eventually they let him out. He comes back to the church, says, open your Bibles and picks up where he left off. Right? They said, he's, this has happened to him. I think it was a hundred or 200 times. They said, he's not here today. Um, you're covering the pulpit. We're giving him a break. No kidding. But sometimes it is not just overt, it is more covert. And I would say there is a certain degree of persecution in the West. I dealt with somebody recently got fired from a job because they're honest. They were an accountant. Boss came to them, said, "Eh, you know, we need you to redo the books. And they're like, I can't redo the books. I do the books for Jesus. You know, Judas redid the books. I can't redo the books. This is the truth. No, we don't like that. We want you to read. I can't do that. That would be lying. You're fired. They lost their job for being integrous. I know somebody recently, they got saved and they went home and told their family, I met Jesus. And their family says, we don't wanna hear a word about Jesus. Some years ago, I saw an international exchange student get saved. They met Jesus, they told their family, they came to me in tears the next Sunday. They called their parents, mom and dad, I met Jesus. Their Muslim family held a funeral and said, you are dead. You are dead. You are dead. I said, I lost my family. I said, you've got the family of God and you've got God as your father, so you're not an orphan. I know people that have gotten saved, met Jesus, go tell their spouse, I met Jesus, and their spouse files for divorce. Says, I want nothing to do with Jesus. You can have me or Jesus. I love you. I'm with Jesus and I would still love to be with you and I'd love you to be with Jesus. No, it's me or Jesus. I've, I've been in rooms where this conversation has been held. It's me or Jesus. I choose Jesus. Sometimes you can suffer socially, you get outcast. You could suffer financially, lose your job. You could suffer legally. There's oftentimes harassment, frivolous lawsuits, seeking to bleed out Christians and businesses. And sometimes these stories make the news and people are like, what's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. Do I have to conform to the pattern of the world or not? If I say no, Do I get punished? Do I have to conform or face some sort of consequence? Some of you know exactly what this feels like. And in the age of social media, this can be very public. And for those of you who are younger, I love you, but let me tell you this. If your whole goal is to be liked and to be popular, it is gonna be very hard to please God. And I wanna tell you this, because I love you and I'm your pastor and I wanna prepare you for reality. If you live for the love of the world, you will endure the wrath of God. If you live for the love of God, you will endure the wrath of the world. You need to pick your love, you need to pick your wrath. If you live for the love of the world, you will endure the wrath of God. If you live rather for the love of God, you will endure the wrath of the world. That's basically what Jesus is telling us. But let let me do a little bit of cleaning up on this. There are two reasons that Christians can suffer. One is bad, one is good. The bad is where we bring it on ourselves, right? You say something in a way that even if it's truthful, it's, 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 it's not helpful. And some of you are like, Pastor Mark, you're a hypocrite. Right, that's why I'm pointing this out, right? Have I ever said or done things that were, that were controversial and unnecessarily elicited conflict? The people who know me chuckle. Yes, I have, okay? 
And what those are, those are self-inflicted gunshot wounds, right? You shoot yourself, you call the police, send the police right now. What happened? I've been shot. Who shot you? I shot myself. They're like, well, you can't really fill out a police report on yourself. We'll send the ambulance, but we're not going to send the cops because you did it to yourself. Sometimes as Christians, true or false, we do it to ourselves, right? I know one guy bought a Bible and threw it at his dad. That's not the best way to deliver it, okay? I literally know. He, was, he bought his dad a Bible. He's like, dad, I bought you a Bible. And dad's like, I don't want the Bible. He's like, you need the Bible. You're, I don't want the Bible. You're going to hell. He threw the Bible at his dad. And his dad got angry. He's like, I gave him a Bible. It's like, you didn't really give it to him. You kind of gave it to him. You know what I'm talking about? It was a good idea, but you didn't, the delivery wasn't ideal, right? How many of you have delivered not just the word of God, but parts of the word of God in a way you're like, you're gonna burn in hell forever. And I like it, right? You're like, oh, it's probably not the best delivery. There are times and ways though that we suffer or there is opposition and it is because you did the right thing, not because you did the wrong thing and you did it in a loving way, not necessarily an unloving way. And Jesus is telling us that. Let me just read a few scriptures. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trials you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. There really only are two options. And here's the deal. God loves us. God fills us with his love through the Holy Spirit so that we can love God. God, what do you want me to do in this world? God says, go out and love. We go out and love. And then there is hatred, opposition, criticism. At this point, you really only have two options. Number one, the Bible says to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. One is, I'm just gonna endure the hardship, right? Um, it's not like if you join a, a military unit and you go out, you're like, why is everybody so angry at me? Boy, they're shooting. That's crazy. Didn't see that coming, right? No, I'm a soldier. Soldiers go into wars and wars have conflict and opposition. You need to know that there is a war between God and Satan, between the kingdom and the world. And if you are on team Jesus, there is a team that is against you. We call that spiritual warfare. The other option is to be a double agent. A double agent is one who really plays both sides. If you're with this side, I do whatever is in my best interest. When I'm with the other side, I do whatever is in my best interest. I don't want either side to oppose me. I want to use both sides for my own benefit. Okay, I love you, some of you are like that. Some of you are like, well, in my business dealings, I'm worldly, uh, but in my, in my Bible study relationships, I'm godly. Um, Saturday night, I'm not very Christian, but Sunday morning, I feel really bad. Welcome, All right? Glad you made it. You know, when, when people are looking, yay, Jesus. When people aren't looking, no, Jesus. The Bible calls this double-mindedness. It's instability, it's hypocrisy. It's double agent. Some of you are that way. You don't tell people you're a Christian. You wait to see what they think about Christians. What do you think about Christians? They're terrible. Yes, I know a lot of hypocrites like me. And then other times, I am a Christian. Oh, me too, love you, brother. 
if other people are going to have parades, we should be public with our love for Jesus. Not in a rude way, not in a condescending way, not in a controversial way, but in a genuine way. I love Jesus, Jesus loves me, I do believe the Bible. Because let me tell you this right now, the Bible, if you are a Bible-believing Christian, this book is now seen as offensive, intolerant, bigoted, repressive, and hate speech. And you and I are in a culture where cultural Christianity is no longer fashionable. There was a day you're like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. No, we all do. Now, there is no benefit to waving the Jesus flag unless you're really on team Jesus. Oh, you're one of those? So you're unloving? No, no, actually, I read the book. I know, I know what love is. You hate people? No, actually, I love all people. I know the God who made them. You're against people? No, actually, I know the God who died for all people. Actually, I do believe the Bible. And I believe that the Bible is true. And I believe it is from the king and it is from the kingdom and it brings the values and ethic and character of the kingdom. And I believe the world in which we live is not doing well. And I believe it would do better if it had a relationship with the God of the word. Ultimately, Jesus says, it is also the world versus the Lord. John 15, 23 through 25, heavy stuff, huh? We're not talking politics, we're talking kingdom. We wanna get above the political fray and look at it from God's perspective. Whoever hates me hates my father also. Some people say, um, you know, I don't really like Jesus, but I do believe in God. Jesus says, no, the Father, Son, and Spirit, they are one and to reject one is to reject God. Whoever hates me hates my father also. Sometimes there will be opposition because you bring the presence of God. I talked to a guy not too long ago. He's a newer Christian and he does love his family. And I did check and he is doing a good job loving and serving his family. Um, He's not gone all Ned Flanders on him. I mean, he's being reasonable about it all. But his family said, something's different. You've changed. We don't feel comfortable having you around anymore. He was very hurt by that. And he said, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand that. I said, maybe you're bringing the presence of God. And as you bring the presence of God, that disrupts the environment in the household. They may be rejecting you, but they're rejecting you because they're rejecting God and they don't know it. And because you're with God, you bring the presence of God into the situation. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, here's what Jesus is saying, look at my resume. I've done things nobody else does. They would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. He quotes, uh, this appears twice in the Psalms, they hated me without cause. Hated who? God, God, God. God comes to the world and the world hates God. Now, some of you, you're just thinking, I'm sure there is a way that we can have the world love Christians and Christ in the Bible. I'm sure there is a way. Jesus showed up. Did the world love or hate Jesus? Hated him. Because the world and the kingdom and the world and the Lord are in fundamental opposition. I was thinking about it. The world rejects any authority beyond the self. Right? In the world, the highest authority is me. 
In the kingdom, who's the highest authority? Jesus, God. I'm not the highest authority, God is. So in the world, it is believed that human nature is essentially good. I'm independent, I'm in authority. No one has the right to judge me. I'm a good person. You don't know my heart. We're good people in the kingdom. Human nature is by nature bad, fallen, sinful, rebellious, corrupted. It's why we need a new nature. That's why in the culture it is you be true to you and you do you. And in the kingdom is you repent of you and you do God. In this world, there is a myth of progress. I'm a good person, getting better. We're good people, getting better. The myth of evolutionary progress. What I would submit to you is this world is not more loving, more kind, more generous, more tolerant, more hospitable, more friendly. The myth of progress is absolutely in contradiction to human experience on the earth. The Bible would say that we are bad and getting worse, that things are bad and getting darker. That is the storyline of the kingdom of God. In addition, in the world, there is this strong sense of self-righteousness. I am a good person and I only judge myself. No one has a right to judge me, but I have a right to judge others. And God shows up and we put God on trial. Jesus here at this moment, he is on the precipice of his execution. He is going to be betrayed. He is going to be arrested. He is going to be falsely accused falsely tried and sentenced to death because ultimately that is how the world system works. It judges God. It judges God. And our world today continues to judge God. God, you are wrong, we are right. We do not need to change, you need to change. We have done nothing wrong, you have it all wrong. There's this hubris, there's this arrogance, there's this judgment of God where humanity sits at a bench like a judge and brings God and God's word on trial and renders a verdict guilty. And that is exactly what is about to happen to the Lord Jesus. We're gonna murder God, that's what's happening here. At the cross of Jesus, at the murder of God, two things are revealed, God and us. At the execution of Jesus, the love of God is revealed and the absolute corruption of the world is simultaneously revealed. Friends, Jesus shows up to the world and the world hates Jesus and the world murders Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus reveals the love of God because he goes to die for his enemies that they might be forgiven that they might be brought into relationship with God, that they might experience forgiveness from God, that they might receive God as their authority, that their old nature would be replaced with a new nature, that their ultimate allegiance would go from their culture to God's kingdom, and that their highest value would not be tolerance, but repentance. Okay, I know this is a little complicated. I'm trying to think how to explain this to you. Cultural conservatives will say, let's go back, back to the good old days. 
Well, since Genesis 3, my friend, there's been various kinds of bad days, right? Have you read Genesis? One brother kills the other, a lot of baby mama drama. I mean, it's a situation. So then the progressives will say, okay, let's unshackle ourselves from history and tradition. Let's go forward. No, it's not right. And the Christian is torn. Those of you who are conservative, let's go back. Those of you who are progressive, let's go forward. Those of us who believe the Bible, let's go up. Okay, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord Jesus, what's the kingdom like? Eventually, all of worldliness will go away and the kingdom is all that will remain. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our residence is on the earth. We are missionaries, soldiers, deployed by the king from the kingdom to the nations and the cultures. Lord God, how do we conduct ourselves in such a way that we are faithful to you, demonstrating love, like Jesus, knowing that we might be opposed, hated, even wrongly, falsely accused as he was, okay? I know what I'm asking you to do is complicated. I know that it's, it's a lot harder than just picking a team and declaring war against the other team. It's acknowledging that the only hope for any culture in the world or subculture on the world is to surrender to the king and the kingdom, okay? So here, we're about Jesus. We're about the kingdom of God. We're about the word of God. And we don't wanna live culture up. We wanna live kingdom down. We're not asking God to bless our thing we're asking God to allow us to participate in his thing, okay? So how do you do that? How many of you feel a little overwhelmed by that? Jesus concludes with this. The Holy Spirit is our helper. For those who want to obey the king, for those who want to bring the kingdom, God will help, okay? How many of you, your parents, and you don't bless rebellion, right? And if, if you do, write that down. Don't bless rebellion. If your kid comes to you and says, I wanna do a naughty thing, can you help me? The answer is, I don't help do naughty. Okay, I don't help do naughty. God is a father. If we come to him and say, culture up, God, help us do naughty. God says, I don't help naughty. God, I wanna do what is pleasing in your sight, what is right. God says, I will help that. Just like a child comes to a parent and says, I wanna do the right thing, will you help me to do it? The answer is, of course I will. The want to precedes the how to. The want to live kingdom down precedes the how to live kingdom down. Jesus says this, John 15, 26 through 27, when the helper comes, that's God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit comes to help the believer who is trying to live kingdom down and not get caught up in the rebellion of the worldly aspects of the culture, whom I will send to you from the Father. So the whole Trinity is here. God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They send God the Holy Spirit to the believer, to the believer. The Spirit of truth, because this world is filled with a lot of lies, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So what Jesus is saying here, as a Christian, we don't need to retreat. 
right? Some Christians are like, okay, there's gonna be conflict. Well, then I'm, I'm out. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna tell anybody about Jesus. I'm not gonna carry a Bible. I mean, I felt it when I went to the coffee shop this morning. I carry this, I carry a big one, right? Like this is, when you're this age, you need the words big, but I'm carrying it in. And immediately as I carry it in, people are looking at me weird. You know why this says, I'm gonna read this now. I opened it and literally people at the coffee shop looked at me like, what is he doing? What is he doing? It's like, well, it's a big Bible. You're like, well, I can put it on my phone. They won't even know that way. Hey, Jesus, I had a time in your word. And nobody knew and we both won, right? So, I mean, I'm like, I carry the big Bible. And it's not my way of just being a jerk for Jesus, but you know what? I was gonna preach out of it, so I gotta put my notes in it. But I even felt it this morning, getting out of the Jeep. I'm like, okay, do I bring my Bible? I bring my Bible. They're all gonna look at me like the crazy guy with the Bible. And I guess I am the crazy guy with the Bible. <laughs> then I open the Bible and everybody's looking at me like he's reading the Bible. Weird. And they're all on Facebook and I'm thinking, that's weirder. <laughs> that's weirder. You're wanting to know what people think of you and I'm trying to figure out what one person thinks about me. You're trying to make sure everybody is liking you. I'm more worried about one person liking me. I had this yesterday, a friend of mine texted. He said, yeah, I was really proud of my son. He goes to a public high school and it was right before their cross country meet and all the guys are there and the son who loves the Lord, teenage kid said, you know what guys? I just feel like I wanna pray for us before our meet today. In high school, that takes courage, amen? Pray to who? Jesus. Dear anonymous God that offends no one, (laughs) please bless us in every way that we want. Amen. Nobody gets, yay, nice, nice. That was a greeting card. We love greeting cards. We don't like prayers. Actually given to a real God And what his son did is he prayed for his track team. You know what that is? In this day, that is saying, you know what? I do love Jesus. I do love you. I'm going to bring Jesus into this. And even if you don't like it, I love you enough to bring Jesus because you need Jesus, okay? We don't need to retreat. We don't need to get, you know, revengeful. How many of you, if somebody attacks you, you go back? How many of you, this, this, I I was a counterpuncher by nature, right? You're a jerk. I am not. You're a jerk. And that we escalate, right? You Christians are all hypocrites. Well, at least, at least I'm not going to burn in hell like you. Like, yeah, that, that really helped. Boy, they're ready to sign up for Team Jesus now, all right? You're just cordwood. Yeah, I was reading the book. You're cordwood. We immediately go to setting them on fire, right? You know you're in a bad place when immediately it's like, you're going to burn forever. So excited to see that. (laughs) I mean, we don't need to get revengeful because when you take it personal, you make it personal. Do you know this word here for witness in the original Greek, not to get all nerdy on you. It's the word for martyr. When you're suffering, being opposed, persecuted, it's almost like, uh, this just comes to mind. I didn't intend to do this. What's in the bottle? Clear water, what happens if I bump it? What comes out? Clear water. When pressure comes on you, what's in you is revealed. Okay? 
You're like, you know what? The Holy Spirit is in me. You come and you bump me, you hammer me, you criticize me. Out comes the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. This is a supernatural reaction to opposition. The natural reaction is whatever you give, I put in and then I take out and I give back to you. The source of our emotional life and our Christian response has to be responding to the Lord, not reacting to the criticism or opposition. And that's what Jesus is saying. When hard times come, those are the best times to show that Christianity really is true, that God really has changed us, that God really is good, and the Holy Spirit really is powerful. So I want you to know that as opposition increases, opportunity increases to be a witness. And God, the Holy Spirit, he will help you in your time of need. And the Holy Spirit helped Jesus. Jesus was tempted, you'll be tempted by the world. And the Holy Spirit can give you the power to overcome the temptation. Jesus was falsely accused, maligned and charged. People will say things about you that are untrue. How did Jesus endure that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. There were days that Jesus was tired and he was exhausted. And there will be days that you are like that. And he lived from the power of the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus needed help, we all need help. And the good news is that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to help us as the Holy Spirit helped him. This is my next book. This is the whole seven week series we're gonna get into. But this is an amazing lead in from the words of Jesus. And this ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, it's very practical and it's, it's very much in the moment. And some translations will translate this concept of the helper differently. I, I, I like this paraphrase translation of the Bible. Calls, uses all these words in, in this one sentence. In a moment where you're like, man, I, this world is either sucking me in or dragging me down. Holy Spirit, come help to get me out and lift me up. There will be times that in this world, you're gonna get beat up and beat down. You're gonna get criticized, maligned, opposed. The Holy Spirit comes to comfort you, to encourage you, to empathize with you, to, to emotionally help you to recover and to heal. There will be times that either the culture or the prince of this world come to accuse you. You're guilty, you're a hypocrite, you're a sinner, you're no, you're no righteous person in God's sight. And, and the Holy Spirit comes as an advocate, which is a legal defense. He says, you know what? Satan doesn't judge and the world doesn't judge, Jesus judges. And the Holy Spirit is our defense attorney saying, no, Jesus died for them. Jesus forgave them. Jesus has changed them. Jesus is changing them. And he reminds you of your future while the enemy is reminding you of your past. Sometimes he comes as the intercessor. Sometimes in this world, it feels like God is far away and we've been orphaned and abandoned. And he comes to intercede to close that distance between us and God. Sometimes because of worldliness and conflict and strife and rebellion, there is strain in our relationships and the Holy Spirit comes to serve in that intercessory capacity to, to be the mediator that brings people together with one another and with God. 
There will be times, my friend, living in this world where you will not know what to do. You will want to walk in the will of God, but you'll be uncertain of what God's will is for you. And the Holy Spirit comes as the counselor. He comes to instruct and correct and direct and to bring you into alignment with the will of God. And there'll be times that just flat out, you're tired, you're weary, you're sick of it. You're tired of evil winning. You're tired of seeing suffering. You're tired of demonic opposition and rebellion and folly. And let me tell you this, people are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy and people are captives in war. So our job is not to defeat people, but to deliver people. Our job is not to oppose people, but to introduce people to Jesus who sets captives free. So that is our mission opportunity. We're not to be caught up in fighting with people. We're to be praying, evangelizing, interceding, fighting for people. That is the mission of God's people. But there will be times in this process, my friend, you're just tired, you're sick of it. And the Holy Spirit comes to strengthen you as he strengthened Jesus and to empower you as he empowered Jesus. And lastly, there will be days and times where because of your alliance and allegiance to Jesus, you will feel isolated and alone. Your family will sort of put you to the margins. Your friend group will put you out in the outs. Your coworkers will look at you suspiciously and you'll feel alone. And the Holy Spirit will come to stand by as a friend. God's presence will be with you. The secret of the Christian life is not the absence of opposition, but the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit comes to bring God's presence to be with us so that we can follow in the pattern of Jesus. So let me say this, for those of you who are not a Christian, this is the most important decision you will ever make. Are you with or against Jesus? And some of you say, is there a third way? According to the Lord Jesus, there is not. There is the world and there is the kingdom. There is the enemy, there is the Lord. There is death or life depending upon your relationship with Jesus. And what's amazing to me in this instance, as Jesus is articulating this, he is headed to the cross to suffer and die in our place for our sins. The world in its wisdom does not know God. The world in its wisdom crucified God and God in his love used the most horrific betrayal for the most amazing salvation that the world could ever know. And so Jesus takes all that the world has to give and he uses it to demonstrate all the love that the kingdom provides. If you are here and you don't know Jesus, if you don't love Jesus, if you don't belong to Jesus, you are born into a war and you are born as an enemy combatant. You need to be born again through faith in Jesus Christ and become a citizen of the kingdom of God. And from this moment, make all of your days devoted to loyalty to your kingdom and to living kingdom down, not culture up. For those of you who are here and you're Christians, but you're compromised Christians, you're cultural Christians. You need to repent of any worldliness in your life. You need to repent of anything in you that is trying to take what the word of God says and what the world says and to commingle and combine them so that you can hear well done, good and faithful servant by both Jesus and his enemies. You need to determine the Lord whom you serve and you need to proceed forward to love the world to which he has called you and you may be treated as Jesus was. So in a moment, what we're gonna do, we're gonna respond. We're gonna 
we're gonna partake of communion, remembering Jesus' broken body shed blood, that the world hated God, but it was in that act of murder that God demonstrated his love for us. In addition, right now, we'll collect our tithes and offerings. This is part of our citizenship celebration. It is our way of saying, everything that I have comes from the king and everything that I have is for the sake of the kingdom. In a moment as well, we're going to partake of worship because in this world, we worship ourselves. We take selfies. All we do is worship self, worship self, worship self. In the kingdom, we worship Jesus, worship Jesus, worship Jesus, amen? So we're gonna do that. And as we do, the Holy Spirit will fill this room. He'll fill the people in the room. He'll bring the help that you and I need to live the lives that God has called us to and to become the people that God has destined us to be. In saying that, I'm gonna now invite the band forward at this time. And what I'm going to do as we prepare for worship, I'm just going to read you the Bible, okay? I'm going to read you the word of God. And I'm gonna read over and over and over in order verses in the New Testament where God, the Holy Spirit, the helper, he helps us by bringing us truth from the King and the kingdom to us so that we can live with courage and confidence in the midst of the world. And faith comes by hearing the word of God. And as I read the word of God, I want you to receive it. And I believe also the Holy Spirit will use the word of God to break demonic strongholds and worldliness. Jesus says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? John's gospel says, and this is the judgment, light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Paul tells us in Romans, do not be conformed to the world. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? He tells the Corinthians, but God chose what is foolish in the world, that is you and I, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world, that is you and I, to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Paul gives this great promise. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Here is good news, dear saint. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Paul tells us the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul says, be it far from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I live dead to the world and alive to Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the demonic spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Dear Saint, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, it feels good. The desires of the eyes, it looks good. The pride of life, this will benefit me, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with all of its desires, 
but who does the will of God abides forever. John tells us, do not be surprised, dear children, that the world hates you. Little children, you are from God and overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And lastly, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Please rise and worship Jesus. Please rise and invite the helper. Please rise and participate in the kingdom. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please join us at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can also watch Pastor Mark live on Sundays, YouTube, Facebook, the app, or at markdriscoll.org. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus.